This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you would do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you meditate? Would you go for a run? Maybe you'd just like to rest for a while or take a nap. Therapy can help you find and prioritize what matters most so you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, develop coping skills, alter negative behaviors, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash insight hour today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash insight hour. Welcome to the Joseph Goldstein Insight Hour. This podcast is an expression of our shared interest in self-discovery. Join Joseph as he shares his deep knowledge of the path of mindfulness. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Joseph. Hi. Hi, everyone. Well, uh, this is truly special. I don't know how many times Ramdas talked to me about, what about Joseph? Why can't we get him out here? <laughs> and I'd call and call and call. I'm like, I'm not BSing. And, and just me personally talking about all the, back in the day in Bodh Gaya, where we met, and you don't remember this, I would bet you a million dollars. But Joseph brought me over to uh, one of the other teachers. We were studying with Goenka and another wonderful teacher named Munindra. And he brought me in and introduced me to Munindra. And I can remember the moment now, okay? I didn't know you. So that was uh, the beginning of a connection. And, you know, we don't see each other very often. But something that's indelible. So I'm really happy you're here, okay? It's just, I remember. Oh. <laughs> Million <No>. bucks. <laughs> uh, generosity. Well, Joseph told me that he has a, a couple of things that he'd love to uh, present to begin this session. So please go ahead. Hello, everyone. So I thought I would just uh, begin this discussion with words from some uh, renowned Western gurus, uh, the first of whom is John Lennon. (laughs) He's always good. When I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wrote down, happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment. (laughs) And I told them they didn't understand life. (laughs) So keep that one in mind. 
And this is just a one-line teaching from Simone Weil, a famous French philosopher and mystic. She said, what people are looking for is not wrong, but they are looking for it in the wrong place. Okay, so putting those two together, if really what we're looking for is happiness, generally or often we look for it in the wrong place. So one final little story which will bring it back to perhaps what the right place is. If you throw a stick, you know, to play with the dog, the dog will chase the stick. If you throw a stick and a lion happens to be in the area, the lion will look at who threw the stick. We need to be lions, right? Our minds are so often chasing after the stick of happiness. But then, as Simone Weil said, we're looking in the wrong place. We have to see who's throwing the stick. And that's really what I think all this is about, and I think it provides the foundation for understanding the significance of generosity in this whole path of happiness. So, something you said actually the other night, not here, was at the church, when I asked you about, to talk about generosity, the first thing that came to mind for you was being with uh, Maharaji, our guru, Neem Karoli Bala. And I have to imagine, since you met him in 67, and you went into this whole long training at Kenshi, and you came out of this, and Maharaji said, don't talk about me in America, right? And then that's all you did. <laughs> that seems to be the place that we are really talking about here. Because it wasn't like there was this intellectual message that now you need to tell everybody about this so they'll join it or something. It had nothing to do with that. Where's that place, Ramdas? And how did, how did, how did Maharaji directly instill this. When I came back from India, I had a jewel. Which was Maharaji. And I just had to share it with the Westerners. I had to share with Westerners. <clears throat> New York, etc. There was a woman in the audience <clears throat> was a court stenographer. 
so she said she's made notes out of everything I said. And she typed it up. And it was made in a big pile of my words. She said, what, what do I do with it? I said, put it in the trunk of my car. And so we went to Esalen. And I was assigned to the blind trousers. He went to get my bag out of the... He said, what's that? I said, it's a woman's... <laughs> he said, let me look at it in the office. And he wrote pertinent things and cleaned it up. And then I went to Lama Foundation in New Mexico. And Steve asked me, what's that? I said, <laughs> And he said, well, I'll look at it. And he said, there are six artists staying here. So why don't we take a story and get a real good art representation? And it was this way that Be Here Now was flowered. It was his doing. It was his doing. I was just a pawn in the game. I want to know, you were a pawn. I was just thinking, you, were a, you just said, I was a pawn yeah. in the game. But I think that there's something more that is going on that inside you and your, all of your makeup and who you are and karma and so on that <laughs> just your intuitive knowledge about, okay, I want this to, I want to get this out. I want to get this jewel out in front of whoever wants to enjoy it. And eventually, a road to happiness, actually, as Joseph said. So what, there is something more. I mean, God, you went around to this day. I don't know how many people in this room. In this, I see so many people read Be Here Now and write to us and, and thank us and thank Ramdas and all of that. To this day, and that was, uh, you're talking, that happened in 1969, 70 or something, 69, 70. 
So, yeah, what, what is that? We all would have that instinct to share that way, right? Somewhere? Because something happened with Maharaji in the first darshan. He was in my thoughts. He was inside. The day before, I was staying in a house with an outhouse. And during the night, I had to go to the bathroom. And the stars were uh, beautiful, beautiful. And the, in the, it was the first time, first time, I, I thought about my mother. Who had died six months, six months. This was the first time I was ever thinking about my mother as a soul. And I figured it kind of uncomfortable. My old self, I was a Freudian, I thought about my mother while going to the outhouse. <laughs> it fit, it fit. <laughs> the next day, we went up to the uh, temple. And he said, you were, you were thinking about your mother last night. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he said, sit by the grass and I'll talk to other people. And I sat in front of him and I thought of all the thoughts that I wouldn't want anybody to know. <laughs> oh, you must have them. <laughs> no. 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 You're forgetting one important thing, though, for this story. Yeah. When Maharaji said you were thinking of your mother last night, she died. She died of spleen cancer. Spleen. He said spleen in English. Uh, just to say that when we heard you say that, when you came back from India then, that one word was like sort of a launching pad into another state of consciousness for many of us then. So that Maharaji said to him, spleen. She died of spleen, right? Yeah. So then he was a little afraid of all the other thoughts that he was having after that. <laughs> this sadhu 
in, in, in India, knowing my mother in Boston, and here I was, a psychologist with, with cognitive psychology. And I couldn't do that. <laughs> and so I sat in front of him and I repeated the thoughts I would think that people would love me less for these thoughts. And then I looked up, it was about this far, he was about this far. And I looked into his eyes and I was transformed. A friend, Dr. Larry, said, he said, I got, I, I sat in front of Maharaji and he was a saint. I'm, I'm sure he's loving people. And then I loved people. Then he He mirrored my soul. And I loved, I loved people. And what, 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 how could I not bring that back? That's a little different than many people would go, oh, geez, I might have to do this stuff. I might have to share something I found, rather than how could I not? Yeah. Which is a big reason we're all here, sitting in this room right now. Um, Joseph, so one thing, um, talking about happiness I think that and generosity which is this coming from nowhere you have no choice that's real generosity you have no choice but then I think it's good uh, you brought up last night the uh, connectivity shall we say of emptiness and love and emptiness being a really and Ramdas has talked about this too. Uh, but it's a difficult, perhaps, concept as a Buddhist concept. And a lot of people take it in, in a nihilistic sense, which it is absolutely not. So maybe good to give us a little grounding there and then connect it to what you were saying last night. I'll preface that. <clears throat> 
with just a little story of my own introduction to be here now, which I think was a little different than probably everybody else in this room. So I had been in Bodh Gaya for a few years practicing. And then in 1970, Ramdas with a hundred people descended on this small little monastery where I had been happily practicing <laughs> in peace and quiet. <laughs> And I had never heard of Ramdas. I had been in India and I had no idea who he was or who all these other people were. And then a short time after that, um, the first um, manuscript of Be Here Now arrived in the format, maybe some of you remember, it came in a box at first. So of course, we were all excited to read it. And I had been pretty immersed in the Buddhist teachings at this time and not, hadn't really explored other traditions or other teachings. So I opened the box, I'm reading Be Here Now, and my first comment to Ramdas was, this is pretty confused. You know, it was a little Hinduism and a little Buddhism and a little this and a little that. <laughs> and of course, it went on to sell two million copies and transformed American culture. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me... It took me quite a few years and studying with a variety of teachers from different traditions <clears throat> often saying different things, even saying conflicting things. You know, and being on a spiritual path and you read these great masters and you're hoping for some consistency. <laughs> but there isn't always consistency, so this became a torment for me. You know, yeah. I was really trying to figure out yeah about something that was the center of my life. You know, yeah. what is really the essence of the truth? And this great master says this, and this great master says this. And the question that was tormenting me was, who's right? Because depending on the answer to that question, I could see my life going in that direction or in that direction. And this is many years later. It took took maybe 30 years, you know, of practicing and, and holding this koan, so to speak. And then at a certain point, I realized that I was asking the wrong question. It wasn't a question, who's right? But more, is this teaching helpful? So I began to see all the different teachings as being skillful means for liberating us. And they weren't necessarily statements of some absolute truth that makes this one right and this one wrong, but to see it all as a vehicle, all the teachings as a vehicle for liberating us from grasping, clinging, self-centeredness. And then it really didn't matter if teachings were saying different things. If the question is, is this helpful? Does this help me let go? 
of whatever I'm holding on to. So that was a big turning point, and it was really out of that understanding that I've come to, perhaps 30 years late, really appreciate the year now. <laughs> and and the, various, the various teachings embedded in it. And so really that does point to one of the meanings of emptiness. And as Raghu said, it's, it's a central Buddhist notion, and it has many meanings. We could spend all five days discussing emptiness. But in the, in the most uh, concise way, I think it can be best understood as emptiness of self or emptiness of self-cherishing. So it's not an absence, it's not a vacuity, it's not some gray, undifferentiated space of emptiness. It really has to do with the quality of the freedom of our heart. You know, are we clenching at something and the something could be anything. It could be views. You know, so for quite a while I was clenching to the particular school of Buddhist views that I had practiced. You know, so I was contracting around that. But it could be grasping at people, at things, at situations, at experiences in our lives. In all the traditions, that I'm aware of, really the essence of freedom is the same. And it's the mind free of any holding, free of any grasping, free of any clinging. And there's a wonderful teaching by a very great Tibetan uh, Dzogchen master. His name was Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, and he was one of the great masters of the last century. And he said, when we realize the empty nature of phenomena, so now think the selfless nature, empty of self, the energy to bring about the good of others dawns uncontrived and effortless. Wow. So with that understanding, it's not someone being loving. It's not someone being compassionate. It's not someone doing good in the world. And I just, I, uh, for those of you of a certain age, you might recognize these lapses <laughs> in the thought train. <laughs> you know, where's, what's that word? <laughs> But I've been told it sometimes comes across as a wise pause. <laughs> so please experience it that way. <laughs> so if we understand that all of these beautiful qualities of compassion, of love, of generosity, in their most basic form, the purest, freest form, are not coming from a self, from an I, from an ego. The more we understand emptiness, emptiness of self, then these qualities manifest spontaneously and naturally. And so I, I came up with a little phrase 
compassion, and you could, you could substitute for compassion, generosity, love, care, attention. Just the phrase, compassion is the activity of emptiness. Generosity is the activity of emptiness. And you know, in the Buddhist tradition, uh, in some of them in particular, there's a lot of teachings about the bodhisattva vows, where you, where you take the vow to really dedicate your life to serving others, helping to awaken others. And for a long time, I had heard those teachings on the bodhisattva vow, and I always appreciated them, but they seemed impossible. You know, how can one save all beings? <laughs> it just seemed an impossible task, even in a way, an impossible aspiration. But then when I understood, oh, compassion is the activity of emptiness, then that bodhisattva way of being is not resting on the shoulders of self. And that's what seemed impossible to me. You know, I can never do this. But when we take it off the shoulders of self and see that it's the activity of emptiness, just the more selfless we are or understand, then these beautiful qualities just manifest spontaneously. And I've certainly seen that to some extent in my own experience and with people like Ramdas and many others. So I think that's a way of really connecting these two ideas that in a way come from quite different traditions, but they're really part of the same thing. That's fantastic. The emptiness which you speak of, when I say Ram, Ram, which is the one, the one, the one that 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 is in all of the whole thing. It's one, and that is the same as emptiness. And I'm a dualism, and you are. Something. <laughs> You're a friend and... <laughs> Let me just jump in here a minute. We'll... We are very old friends. We met back in 1970. And as I think Sharon mentioned yesterday, Ramdas has been a huge support in, in the whole unfolding of our teaching in the West. And... We've been going back and forth about some of these topics for the last 40 years or so. <laughs> so I can't resist. <laughs> Go. <laughs> there are two kinds of one. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that the one that Ramdas is talking about is the right one. <laughs> 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 
However, I just want to illuminate the one that's... <laughs> that may be a little, <laughs> a little off. <laughs> so there is a one where the self enlarges to include everything. So it's like the big self. That's one that encompasses everything. And then there's the experience of the oneness of things that comes out of zero. Comes, comes out of zero. So when we have to some extent experienced that empty, we could call it the zero nature or the empty nature or the selfless nature, So we've taken the I out of the picture. All that's left is one. All that's left is what remains, which is everything. But it's not the everything of having become a big self. It's the everything that remains from having let go of a self center in one way or another, even if that self-center had gotten very big. So do you see the, do you see the two ones? <laughs> there's the one coming out of emptiness of zero, and then there's the one that is just an enlarged self. So I have a, I have a tremendous respect and interest, and maybe even obsession, uh, with uh, words. You know, and because how we use language really determines and conditions how we understand things. And very often, words are used without precisely defining how they're being used. And in all these years of teaching, I've seen this so often, there can just be a huge missing when people are using the same words but meaning different things. Uh, so that's why I just like to play in this arena. And uh, to me, it helps clarify, actually, the essence of what we're talking about. Absolutely. Um, and, but speaking back to speaking of emptiness, one day I was with Roshi Joan Halifax, who many of you know, another great friend of all of us, and I know that she she visits Ramdas every year, and for uh, they've been you know again old 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 friends, and she, of course, has been around Maharaji. The picture is there. And I said to her, "So you you've been around Ramdas all this time, and others of us, and, and our tradition. What do you think of Neem Karoli Baba?" Just was a innocent question. She said, I look at the picture, I look into his eyes, and I see emptiness. And Ramdas, you should talk, there was a moment uh, with her in some other session that you talked about that experience you had of Maharaji, and you said he's just empty. And of course, all of us that have been with him have had that at the same time, and how does that equal 
love. Well, empty, empty of, of a, a self. You know, and emptiness and love are the same thing. <laughs> you often say, and we all do, we talk about unconditional love. So to me, the only way that that can happen is from complete emptiness of any duality whatsoever. And that's the way that we received that unconditional love. And Yeah, unconditional love. When Maharaji unconditionally loved me, that for the first time for my life to ever experience unconditional love. I was loved for good boy. I loved because I was curly haired. <laughs> Uh oh. <laughs> I was loved for a good student. I was loved for being a good lover. They were all conditional lover, loving. Conditional loving. And when he looked at me, he saw all of me. All of the thoughts, all of it. And he loved it. He loved it. That's spiritual love. Huh? Mala. Mala, it's not in my Mala isn't here. And Ram, 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 Ram. And he was saying the name that one that lies behind the one behind the many. Ram is empty, is empty. This is just fascinating. I was a social scientist who would think that I am nuts because I live in my imagination. It's interesting the way the imagination 
works. I, in my, my consciousness, there's a room, there's a room that's called imagination. And I go sit in there, and that's where Maharaji and I talk. And he's, he's, he dropped his body. A guy said to me, you speak to your dead guru, don't you? <laughs> And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he says, that's your imagination. And I said, yeah. <laughs> now, that room of imagination, when the, he's real in that room, or not. This is a head trip. He's real? No, he's imagination. That's all this up here. Is he real or is he imagination? Yeah. And I speak to him. I've gone into Hinduism. Gods. I I worship. Oh, you know. I was uh, in India, and one of our temples has a orange cement uh, monkey that's um, uh, this big. And I was sitting in front of it. That's Hanuman. And I thought at that moment, my colleagues at Harvard <laughs> <laughs> Oi. <laughs> Hanuman, he represents loving service, loving service. Hmm? Selfless service. Selfless, selfless service, yeah. The true, true meaning of generosity is Hanuman self-service. Selfless service. And Maharaji is an incarnation of Hanuman. And see, this is the world I live in. I am a monkey follower. <laughs> We all are. 
in your soul pod on that one. Um, can I, um, I want to read something that uh, it follows a little bit with some of what uh, I chatted with Sharon originally about this. Um, and it was because it's very difficult to think, okay, uh, generosity springing from a place of emptiness of, of self-cherishing is a good way to put it. That's difficult on a day-to-day -day basis, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be engaging because there are many, many aspects to this, and one of them was the practice of generosity. And I just want to read this one thing. It's from Gelek Rinpoche, who many, I think most of us have met. He said, when you are practicing generos generosity, you should feel a little pinch when you give something away. That pinch is your stinginess protesting. <laughs> if you give away your old, worn-out coat that you wouldn't be caught dead wearing, that is not generosity. There is no pinch. You are doing nothing to overcome your stinginess. You're just cleaning out your closet and calling it something else. <laughs> Giving away your coat might keep someone warm, but it does not address the problem to free ourselves from self-cherishing and self-grasping. I love this piece. It does not. And so talk a little bit about your view on actually the practice of generosity and awareness is involved and in, in our motivations and so on. sometimes find myself in difficult situations where I disagree with the great masters. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> and Gellert Grimace was a great master. We've, we've had uh, great contact and conversations over the years, and he was a remarkable, yeah, and apparently great enlightened being. But that doesn't square, com what that quote was, doesn't square completely with my own experience. Because with any practice, we start a practice at the beginning and hopefully bring it to some level of mastery. Now the beginning of any practice is going to be difficult. And there are going to be those moments of holding and struggling and letting go and then holding back again. But to my mind, that doesn't make it any less the practice of generosity. It just reflects where we happen to be on the trajectory, you know? And so wherever we are, and even there may be people even more at the beginning than someone giving away an old coat that they don't want anymore. So there's one practice which has been suggested for people who are really way, way at the beginning of generosity, of just picking up a stone in your right hand and giving it to your left hand. Then left hand, right hand. 
it's a beginning, you know, and it's a seed, and maybe a very small seed, but if that seed is nurtured, it grows, and then we can give away this old coat that we don't want. And then we do that for a while, and we realize, oh, yeah, this that actually feels good, even that. Kind of a, it's not hugely magnanimous, yeah. but it's something. You know, it's something in the direction of letting go. And then from that, maybe we start to give things that are more valuable to us. And maybe things eventually that are most valuable to us. So I see that being the practice of generosity. And it takes away, I think, any judgment or self-judgment of where we happen to be on that trajectory. We realize the value of the giving, and we just start from where we are, and we build from that. That's great. I want to go back to something. <laughs> Can I go back? Go back. <laughs> this has to do with the, my, my language obsession. <laughs> so I loved your description of you know, that compartment in the mind and the compartment of imagination, which is a beautiful description of that of that process and how you actually engage, yeah. you know, with Maharaji. So it's just, and again, as you all know by now, I'm really coming more from the language of Buddhism. Fine. Uh, because that's, that's, my, <laughs> that's my training. So when you, were, when you were speaking, I was kind of translating it into my own language, you know, of what that would mean. And so instead, of, in my mind, instead of kind of thinking of it as a compartment in the mind, a room in the mind, where I can meet a being in my imagination, I, I was thinking of it more as that it's all and everything is just a manifestation of mind. So I, I wasn't seeing it so much as a compartment, a special compartment of the mind, but just something arising in the mind. And for me, that uh, shift of language just points to some amazingly fascinating question which has sustained my interest over the last 50 years, and I think yeah. the interest of all of us, just the, the very simple but very difficult question to answer, what is the mind? This is the great mystery. You know, what is consciousness? What is awareness? You know, mostly we're like the dogs going after the stick, and looking at the objects of mind, of what arises in the mind, we don't so often turn our attention back to look at, well, what is the mind? What is the nature of the mind? And to me, that is just completely fascinating because when we look, we see, as expressed in some of the traditions, 
There's nothing to find. You know, we, we look in and we look for the mind. Can you find it? No. And yet, awareness is there. So it's not a blank, it's not a, it's not a dead thing. Even though it can't be found, it's manifesting everything. And so in that framework, then to me it gets less mysterious in a way that there can be communion with Maharaji or anybody else because their, their appearances in this great mystery of mind that can bring forth anything. anything. And of course, then the challenge is, what do we choose to give attention to? Yeah. And it's probably better to give attention to Maharaji than many other things. Yeah, <laughs> many other things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're, uh, we're not far from the end. I, I just thought since this is the first time we've had Joseph, but maybe a little meditation he could uh, lead us, would you? Yeah. Yeah. We want you to. The, the, last, the last time we were together, we ended our conversation with this, and we had this little back and forth. No, you lit the no, you. <laughs> so finally I prevailed upon it since he's the senior by quite a few years. <laughs> that was only right for Hamdas to lead the meditation. And I was very glad I did because it was a totally beautiful meditation. And so since I'll have an, other opportunities to be leading meditations, it would be great if you would offer that. It really yes. was beautiful and huh? hard opening. Guest is God. <laughs> Meaning you have to do this. I like that. Guest is God. <laughs> Concentrate on your breath. In you bring love to yourself. Out, you send love to all beings. Now think you are love. We are love. The whole enchilada, love. You are a soul. You are a spiritual entity. A soul loves everything. including itself. You identify with your soul. You look around and you will see souls. All of these souls 
merge into the one. They've come out of the one and come back to the one. Just as we got born and die. Feel the presence in this room. Feel the emptiness This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you would do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you meditate? Would you go for a run? Maybe you'd just like to rest for a while or take a nap. Therapy can help you find and prioritize what matters most so you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, develop coping skills, alter negative behaviors, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash insight hour today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash insight hour.